Go ahead and grab out your Bible and something to take some notes with this morning. This Sunday is no different. We take notes every single Sunday here at Victory. And if you hate notes and you are against taking notes, grab out something to write some things down anyways. All right, everybody? All right, so go ahead and get those out. This is the last week of prayer and fasting. Come on, can I get an amen in the room? Maybe you're watching online. This is our last week. I love the 21 days of prayer and fasting, and my body hates the 21 days of prayer and fasting. I don't know if you are in the same boat, but this is the last week of it. And I want to encourage you, it is not too late to jump in with us. If you haven't been to any of the prayer services, you haven't fasted anything, you haven't done anything at all, it's still not too late. Seven days is a long time to give something up. You can still silence the voice of the world. That's what we're doing in fasting. And you can increase the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's what we do through prayer. And I promise you can jump in this week uh, and still build some spiritual momentum in your life. And I'm not asking everybody not to eat for 21 days. I told you that already, right? I'm asking our church to participate in the spirit of fasting. Because some of you need to keep eating some food. But what you need to give up is that thing that has its claws in your brain. Some of you got a digital device like surgically connected to your hip. And you probably need to give up some things uh, that are way more important to you than food. And so I'm just putting that out there. You kind of feel out, pray with the Holy Spirit, see what you want to give up this week. Jump on in with us. And I just encourage you. I asked, we asked our kids what they were fasting because uh, they like to give up things during this as well. And so a couple of mine are real devoted. They've got their things set at the beginning of the 21 days. But I asked my, one of my sons and he looked at me and said, mm, I'm still deciding. And so I am pretty sure that he is not fasting at all, everybody. So you just, you do whatever you need to do. Knock yourself out, all right? You kind of navigate that on your own. But I do believe that this will be the greatest year of our lives, if it's the best year of our lives spiritually. That's why we call this series the best year yet. That if you'll lean in spiritually, I believe God has things for you, for your family, for our church. That God has some amazing breakthroughs this year, that it will be the best year yet. And so I'm just trying to prepare you for that. All of the sermons in this series, we're just trying to get ready for what God has for us in this year. And so week one, we talked about how this year we're going to pursue some things. How God told David, pursue and you'll recover all that the enemy tried to take from him. And so we talked about that week one, how we're going to pursue some things the enemy has tried to steal from us. That we're going to retake some of those things that he thinks he's gotten away with. And we're going to retake those in the spiritual. And so we talked about that week one, week two. We talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how they were stand-up guys in a bow-down culture, how they had to take their stand. And so I told you this year, the church, we're going to have to take a stand, that there's going to be opportunities, there's going to be chances for us. And too often times we look at them as something that's hardship or something bad that's coming. I'm saying it's an opportunity we're going to have to take a stand, that we're going to be able to stand on God's words, on his principles, take that stand, because it was only in taking their stand that the three of those Hebrew boys had a chance to save their nation. They had a chance to see the move of God on their lives. Now, if we go back for just a moment uh, to that story that we studied, I want to use it as kind of a spring pad into where we're going today for week number three. But verse 16, as they're standing before the king, they make this statement, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't have to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to rescue us from it. And he will rescue us from your majesty's hand, O king. Now, I want you to see this confidence that they speak with. Because we know the rest of the story, but I want you to see in this moment, the confidence that they speak with before the king. O king, we don't care what you say to us, and we don't care what you try to do to us. The God we serve, we know that he is willing and he is able. That the God we serve. And so I pray, my prayer for you today is that you would leave here with that same confidence in your heart. 
That as you navigate the storms of this life, as you go through the fire and you test it, that you would have this confidence that your God is able and your God is willing. That I serve a God who can and I serve a God who will. And I think sometimes that God can is the easier sell for most people. I think most of us here would agree that we serve a God who is all-powerful. That there is a God and that he is able to do what he says he will do. And we believe that he is a God who can rescue But I think oftentimes we think, yes, I believe he is able. I believe that he is a God who is able and he is able to rescue. But maybe for some like missionaries in Africa, he can rescue though. Or maybe people like 200 years ago or maybe one spiritual person that I knew one time. I believe God is able to rescue. The part that's hard for us oftentimes is to believe that God is willing. Because we believe that he can, but sometimes we don't believe that he will. We say he could do it for everybody else, but maybe not for me. And maybe he can rescue and maybe he can save and maybe he can move in a mighty way. And maybe he can touch their lives and their marriage and their job and their kids. And maybe I believe God can, but maybe I'm not at the place where I believe that God would ever do it for me. And so what I want to do today is build this idea in your life that you can trust God. That he is both able and that our God is willing. That he is both able, he can, but that he also will. That you have that faith like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And honestly, the longer you live with God, the more experiences you have with him. The more you experience his presence, the more you experience relationship with him. Honestly, you'll build up a resume of faith that you're able to stand like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And say, our God is tried and trusted and true. And I know that he can and I know that he will. And so we have to build that faith in our lives. And I hope you know that those encounters, those spiritual moments with God are what the Christian life is supposed to be. We're supposed to have those encounters with God. We're supposed to have, I'll show it to you in Romans chapter 6. Watch this in verse 23, just to set up the idea. It says, for the wages of sin is death. It's important we realize that sin is not a game, everybody. All right, we're not playing patty cake. Sin has consequences. And the Bible talks about this, that the wages of sin is death. And oftentimes, because we can't immediately see what that death is, we oftentimes think that the verse must be mistaken. That the wages of sin must be something different. That they're not quite as bad as that because we don't see immediately the effects that sin is. Let me tell you, every time there is a sin, a death occurs. Every time there is a sin, a death occurs. Now, death in the New Testament means separation. So Adam and Eve in the garden probably were confused, like a lot of us sometimes are. Because they believe when they ate of the fruit, when they sinned for the very first time, they believed that the law said that then they would die. God had said, if you eat of this fruit, you'll surely die. And so they probably thought God got it wrong because they didn't immediately physically die. In fact, they didn't see the death of their relationship with God until much later in the day. It says in the cool of the the next day, in the cool of the morning, God came to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. And he called to them and they realized their shame and their guilt from their sin. And so it says they hid from God, death in their relationship with him. See, at the moment of the sin, they probably thought, well, God must have been wrong. But there's always a death when sin is involved. There's always a separation. And so many times we don't immediately detect the death that creeps in our life because of sin. But sin always separates. On earth, sin separates our relationships between people. You've seen that maybe in your life. Sin separates our relationship with God. And if prolonged long enough, it does lead to physical death. It's a good time to take a drink right there, everybody. I can tell you're excited about this today. But let me just explain it to you a little bit better. It separates our relationship with God. Because the devil wants to get you into a dark place in your life. He would love for sin to separate you for the rest of your life from the God who loves you. 
He would love for sin to drive a wedge between you and God. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more today. But he would love to get you in such a dark place that your sin would separate you from a holy God. That your sin would keep you from the God who loves you. Because when you pass from this life to the next, everybody realize that there is a life to come. There is a life after this life. In fact, that life is the reality. This life is the dream. That this is life is just a vapor, the Bible says. That it's just running away like water. It's just, this life is not what is important in this life. There is an eternity to come. And we have to recognize that, that there is eternity after. That this life is passing quickly. And someday soon and very soon, we will all stand before our maker. Someday soon and very soon, we will all stand before the one who created us. And he'll ask us one question, what did you do with my son? He'll ask us one question as we go, what did you do with the gift of God? Because the Bible says the gift of God, the remedy for this, if the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So the wages of sin is death. And I just want to drive this home for just one more minute, if you'll bear with me, because I think it's easy in modern day Christianity. It's too easy for us to get our eyes focused on everything else and forget that hell is an actual reality. It's too easy for us to get our eyes off of everything else that's real in our lives. It's too easy for us to forget that hell isn't actually, it's a real place. Hell is not a figment of your imagination. Hell is not, you know, some literary device. Hell is not some philosophical place. It's an actual real place that has been created for the devil and his fallen angels to be burned alive in a lake of fire for all eternity. Burned alive forever. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. It took me two years to get this guest to come with me to church. All right, everybody. <laughs> two years I've been asking them to come in church. This is Hellfire and Brimstone Weekend. Are you kidding me? Like, what is, what is this? What are we just? Take a deep breath, everybody. All right, because that's the hard preaching maybe you grew up under of turn or burn. All right. And I love fire. I'm a pyromaniac at heart because I am a man. All right. You just have to understand that. I think I have preached that probably six times in the last two years. I love fire. I love burning things. All men love burning things. Honestly, I think everybody loves to burn things. It's just a fun thing to do. We actually have what we call the burn pile in the back corner of the property. If you've never been introduced to it, it's an amazing thing. If things don't fit in the dumpster, we take it to the burn pile. If you've got extra stuff at your house, we take it to the burn pile. we got stuff that's not supposed to be burned. We take it to the burn pile, everybody, all right? It is, it's an, we, we create entire events over how can we light the burn pile. Like, how can we, we just make up events around here to light the burn pile. It's just an amazing thing in our lives. I love fire. All men love fire because it is an incredible, incredible thing. In fact, ladies, if you are having trouble meeting a man, light a dumpster on fire and stand next to it. Every man in town would be like, what's that? What's, what's, what's going on over here? What's that say? That's the way God called Moses into ministry. You realize that he lit something on fire. Moses was like, what's, what's burn, something burning over there? Let's go check out what's, you read it in the Bible. It's, it's, it's in one of those translations. You could read. The, we love fire. And while all of us love fire, none of us enjoy pain in our own lives. None of us want to be burned. We all enjoy burning things. We don't enjoy ourselves want to be burned. And so I don't know about you, even if heaven's not all that great, I'm pretty fired up about not burning for all of eternity. All right, everybody, I'm just pretty. I mean, I know people say things like, I know I don't want to be some naked baby floating on clouds playing harp someday. I'll take that. All right, everybody, I, that sounds great to me. As long as it's not fire, I'll take that. All right, I'll take that deal. Now, heaven is a lot better than naked babies floating on clouds playing harp. But still, you need to understand hell. It's a real place. You need to understand that in your life. And that the wages of sin is separation from God forever. But God says, I'm going to give you an eternal gift. 
The Bible says that God says, I'm going to give you this gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, what if eternal life, and think about this with me for a moment, what if eternal life was not just something that impacted eternity? What if this gift of eternal life is not just something that would impact what we like to think of as eternity? Because see, so many of us are living short of what God's actual plan is for our life. Because too many of us have what we call fire insurance. Too many of us are living our lives short of what God actually has for us because we don't care so much what God has for us in this life. We just don't want to burn for all of eternity. I got my fire insurance and so I'm good. Too many of us are living lives that I would call maybe practical atheism where I just, I, I think I'm a Christian, but I'm just a Christian so far as long as I've got my fire insurance in my life. We just don't want to burn. We're not really all that excited about what God has for us. And John says it this way, though, verse 3 of chapter 17. He says, now this is eternal life. So watch this. This is what eternal life actually is. It's not fire insurance. It's not trying to get out of just hell or out of burning. It says that they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is what eternal life is, that we would know God. That's the gift that he gave us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That, that's the gift that was purchased for us on the cross, that we would know God. That word know in the Greek is the word genosko. It's the word to know through experience. It's this idea that we would actually experience the living God in our lives. And so I would tell you again, what if eternal life is not something that just impacts what we think of as eternity? What if eternal life is not just fire insurance that we wouldn't go to hell? What if eternal life was actually knowing and experiencing the living God? That we would have that for our lives. And I believe that there is a life to come and it is wonderful and it is beautiful and it is great. But I want you to know the start of eternal life for you is not when you die, everybody. The start of eternal life is when you met Jesus. The start of eternal life for you is that day when you met your Savior. When you step now into that, you're able to know and experience the living God. That started for you the moment you met Jesus, when he made you new. There is eternal life encountering the living God who loves you more than you could possibly imagine. That that is what eternal life. And I just want you to know you'll never be the same if you will lean into that in this life. If you'll lean into that experience of God's presence, of his power. We're going to talk about that today because you need to know there's an experience you're supposed to have. And so the Bible is not just a collection of fun stories that we think, well, I'll just memorize these so I can be super spiritual. The Bible is not just something that you try to build head knowledge. No, the Bible is examples of how God has moved and people have seen the faithfulness of God. It's there to encourage us that we could see God move in the same way. That we could see God move in our lives, that we could experience him in the exact same way. That we could see the power of God move in our lives, in our families, in our church. That's what it's there for, to encourage us in that. We're supposed to gain confidence. He wants us to experience his power. Because when the winds and waves beat against your life, I promise you, if you just have a head knowledge of what Christianity is about, you just have a head knowledge way of approaching God, and you just memorize some things that you thought were good enough to have fire, I promise when the winds and waves beat against you in this life, that that foundation will crumble. But if you build it on an experience of knowing the true God, if you build it on an experience of knowing that Jesus Christ has purchased eternal life and that he wants us to experience it in him, a relationship with him is when you'll stand strong. Because we're going to need it in this life. It's a promise God has given to us. So here's the problem. Let me just kind of lay out the problem and then we'll go to the solution in the book of Hebrews. But Romans says it this way in chapter 1. Yes, they knew God. So there were some people, they knew God. And honestly, I want to apply this to some believers today that there were some people who knew God but something went wrong. 
Something got out of whack. Something got out of shape. Something happened. Something got out of the wrong order. And they wouldn't worship him as God. They stopped worshiping or they even giving him thanks. And so something happened in their life. They stopped making him first. Worship gives him, worship gives God the place that he's supposed to be in in our lives. And they stopped giving him thanks in the way that they would worship him. So these are people who had encounters with God. It says they knew him. They knew God, but they stopped this pattern in their life. And guess what happens? They started to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. They set up idols. If you read the chapter, they started to worship those as gods. They set up different passions and pleasures of life as their God. And then their ideas. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Look, this is playing out in culture today. People who don't worship God. I told you about practical, right? Practical atheists that say, well, I am a Christian. I think I'll believe in whatever I need to believe to get that. But then I'm going to live like the world, talk like the world, get addicted like the world. I'm going to love the things the world loves. And what does it say? What's the end result of that? God says he gives them over to their pleasures and their passions and their lusts and their greed. And he gives them over to destruction. If you read through the rest of the chapter. And so what happens, though, if we start to live like that is we begin to say, well, I'm just going to live like the world, talk like the world, believe like the world. What happens is our minds become dark and confused. We start to see things with a, a warp to it. We start to see even the Bible, the word of God, with a slight bend to it. We start to say things like, well, there's no way an all-loving God could send my friend to hell for all of eternity, even though they flaunt maybe a lifestyle that's in the Bible as a sin. And we say, well, I can't believe that a loving God would ever want them to suffer. And so I'm going to kind of twist my theology to meet what my standards have become. And too often times we say, well, now it's become personal and so we need to change. And certainly I can shift a few things and certainly I can move a few things. And I just want you to know our minds become dark and confused in that spot. It becomes dark and confused. And so we'll find ourselves far from God. Now, the truth of the matter is, and I know it's, it's kind of felt like a dark Sunday so far, everybody. You, those watching online, you are happy you are at home, everybody. But I want you to know the truth of the matter, it is easy to have this slipping. It is easy for myself, for us to have this type of slipping to happen in our lives. This isn't some, some great cliff out there in the great blue yonder. This is easy for us oftentimes to have this. And so what do we do to combat it? What do we do to avoid these slippings that have? Because there's always been two approaches to God. There's the experiential approach. That's the tree of life in the garden. And then there's this head knowledge, memorization type approach, and that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that Adam ate from in the garden and died, the Bible says. And so if you take, all you take from your Christian faith is fun stories or some head knowledge that you can memorize, there will be a spiritual death at some point in your life. Every single time. So Romans says it's not so much about how much you know, but who you are experiencing. Not so much about how much that you know. I promise I love knowledge. I will study with the best of them. I enjoy that. But I'm telling you, it's not how much you know. It's who you are experiencing. You have a real experience with God. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we don't care what you say to us, O king. We don't care what happens to us, O king. We don't care what you try to do to us, O king. We have an experience with the living God. We have seen him be faithful in our lives. We have seen what God has done to this point. And so we trust that he is willing and he is able. And so the God we serve is able to do this to take us. I want that for your faith. I don't want you to just get a head knowledge type of Christian that you would get into adversity or persecution and that you would just kind of crumble under the weight. I want you to have your experience with God. I want you to experience his power in your life. Because too often times the devil will just try to confuse you. I've seen this happen and I've been in some great debates and I've been in some great entire, I've been in entire week long discussions and things that I've discussed with people who have come at this from a purely head knowledge standpoint. 
And I promise you, the first thing the devil tries to attack is your mind. The first thing he will try to attack is your mind to darken and to cloud and to try to confuse you. Did God really say? Did God really think? Did you really think that God was like that? And it says that they became confused about who God was and they became confused about what God was saying. And they gave themselves over to what they thought were their gods. promise you the first place the devil will attack is in your mind. First place he tries to get you confused is in your thoughts. And so Hebrews chapter 10, and I just want to tell you, as we begin this, it's spiritual warfare when you begin to attack the strongholds of the enemy against your thoughts. It says we bind every stronghold that tries to come against the thought. We bind every stronghold that tries to set itself up against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is what we are doing, everybody. That in these 21 days, we are setting ourselves momentum for the year. We are declaring that we follow him and him alone. And the devil's not going to wheedle his way into our thoughts and try to get us dark and confused. So Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to spend the rest of our time here today because it's honestly, it's God's remedy for what we've been talking about this morning. Because it deals with this issue. It talks about how in the Old Testament, they used to sacrifice animals. If you've read in the Old Testament, you will see almost every chapter that they are sacrificing something. All right, they are doing something. We used to joke a few years ago that here at Victory, after you became a member, we would show you where we sacrificed the animals. But I just stopped making that joke because a few people believed me. All right, everybody? So we just, we cut that one out of our repertoire. That didn't, that didn't show up at the member classes. But I promise in the Old Testament, you read it long enough, you will come across how many times and you will be shocked at how many animals that they sacrificed. How many times they would have to go in and cut the blood of an animal to cover over the sins of the past year. But day after day, month after month, they had to keep doing it. Because it would just cover over the sin. It wouldn't deal with the inherently default underneath. It wouldn't deal that people were already inherently sinful. It would just cover over the sin of the past month or the past year. It wouldn't deal with the... It was outside-in change, which is never very effective. But God had another plan. And Hebrews talks about this. God had a better plan. Verse 10, it says, God's will, it wasn't that, but God's will for us was to be made holy. Watch this, by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. So Jesus came and he fulfilled all of that as the perfect spotless lamb. Jesus came, God's better plan for humanity. What God had for us was he sent Jesus, his son, that as the perfect lamb, once and for all, he would cleanse us from our sins. That God loved us so much that he would send his own son in order to be once and for all the sacrifice that we would need. That God would send him for us to give us an opportunity not to have outside in, not to cover over, not to, but for inside out, he would cleanse us. From inside out, he would make us new, that we could experience Jesus Christ. That once and for all the sacrifice. And so it says in verse 19, continues, and so, dear brothers, the results of this, brothers and sisters, is that we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So by his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest now who rules over God's house, and then it goes on in the next verses that we're going to look at. And it begins to tell us since Jesus has bought this new life-giving way into the presence of God, since Jesus is the one sacrifice one time for all, now see what we should do. Hebrews begins to say, here are things that you should do because Jesus has paid the price, because he's gone before us as our high priest over God's house, because he's done those. Here is what it gives us some instructions in these next four. And there are four lettuces in these next four verses. And if you are doing the Daniel fast, I'm not talking iceberg, romaine, shredded, right? Because I know some of you are hungry today. It is week number three of fasting, right? So it is lettuces like four let us. You get the point. All right, everybody. So there are four lettuces today. And the first one comes out of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Since Jesus has bought this way, 
Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Since Jesus has bought our way, let us go right into the fullness and the presence of God. Let us go right in for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. I love the thought of this chapter. First thing you're going to need if we're going to stand, first thing you're going to need in this life, if we're going to encounter the presence of God is you need to be in God's presence. First thing it says is let us go boldly into the presence. Since Jesus has bought the way, since Jesus has purchased our sacrifice, since he has been once and for all, once and for all. Now he says, then let us boldly go into God's presence. First thing you're going to have to do if you want to encounter God is to be in his presence. I love how it talks about he has sprinkled us and cleansed our guilty conscience. He sprinkled us with his blood once and for all and cleansed our guilty conscience. You know, in reaction, the truth is all of us, at some point or another, all of us in worship, and when we go into the presence of God, all of us inherently feel unworthy. And you know why that is? Because we are. All of us feel unworthy. We feel we're not good enough because we are. But the Bible says because of Jesus' sacrifice, we can go boldly into his presence, not because of what we have done, but because what has been done for us. Because of what he has done for us, we can go boldly into the presence of God. Because too often we tell ourselves that I'm not good enough and so I shouldn't go into his... The devil would love to leverage your insecurities about your own goodness to keep you from the presence of God. He would like nothing more than to leverage your insecurities about your shortcomings to keep you from going to the presence of God. And so too often times we say, well, I know that God might move for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I know that God might invite that super spiritual Christian into his presence, but there's no way I could go. I want you to know Hebrews says something different. Hebrews says he has sprinkled us with his blood once and for all, that because of Jesus' sacrifice, he has purchased our way into the presence of God. And so we need to run into his presence. We need to run into his presence. We need to run. And maybe you're thinking in your life, well, maybe I'm not like Shadrach, Meshach. Maybe I've bowed in the past. Maybe I've, I've given in to those temptations too many times. Maybe I've done that. Maybe I'm not worthy of it. Maybe I can't go. Nothing could be further from the truth. Because in Hebrews 4, it says, if we go boldly to the throne of our gracious God, I love it, it says go boldly. As a child of God, if you have children that come to your presence, listen, they don't come with this, this like, you know, maybe I can go approach my father. Maybe I can approach that. They come boldly asking for what they want. Come on, somebody. They come boldly. Come Christmas time. There is boldness in my house that I have never seen before in my life. The audacity of some of those things. And we need to, you know, just we have some some sessions there. We kind of we kind of we enable the boldness, but we we kind of move some magazines and, and kind of, you know, <laughs> some things out of our life that are too expensive, everybody. But there is boldness that happens when you're children. And that's the idea it wants you to grasp. It wants you to have that grasp that we go with boldness to the throne of our father because Jesus has purchased our way with boldness. We go before him, not because of what we've done. And then it says, then it says we'll receive mercy and we find grace to help us when we need it the most. So that means instead of running from God when we need him the most, instead of running from God when we're in trouble, instead of running from God when we've messed up for the thousandth time, the Bible says we need to run to him because when you need him the most is when you are at your worst. When you need God the most is when you're at your worst. Too often times, though, that's the chance. We take that opportunity and we say, well, there's no way I could go to him because I'm too dirty right now. There's no way I could. The Bible says, run to him. That that's where we'll find mercy. That's where we find grace. That's where we find the mercy to help us the most. 
And so that means that the next time you feel like you screwed it up, the next time you fall back into the addiction, the next time you feel like there's no way God could ever love a person like you, God is saying, run to me in that moment. Come to me in that moment and you'll find strength and mercy and grace that will wash your soul clean. That's the moment we run to him. When we are at our worst is when we need God the most. And I promise you, we are faithful to sin, but God is more faithful to forgive. That God is always more faithful to forgive. That sin is constantly trying to drive that wedge. And God is saying, don't let it drive a wedge between us. Run to me when you need me the most. Don't let your sin keep you from him. Run to him in the midst of that. And here's how we do that. Here's how we run to God. How do we, how do we continue this idea? Because if we look back at Romans chapter 1, where we saw these people who knew God and then they fell away. They couldn't believe any longer. They didn't worship him anymore. And then what does the Bible say? They no longer worshiped him as God. And they stopped even giving him thanks. And so if you would think in your mind what the reverse of that, the opposite of that would be, what could we do then to continue to experience the presence of God? What would we do to continue to experience? We would continue to worship and we would continue to give him thanks. If we wanted to continue to know God, to experience him, that that's what eternal life really is, we would continue, then we would do the opposite of what these people did, of whatever went wrong in their lives, we would learn from that and we would continue to worship him We would put him first in our lives. We would continue to say, God, I'm sorry if I put things before you. God, I'm sorry if I bowed down because culture tried to make me. I'm sorry, God, if I worship things that I shouldn't have. I tried to take control of things that I shouldn't have. God, I'm putting you back in first place in my life. We worship him. We exalt him. We say, Lord, I need your strength and I need your praise and I need your power in my life. Worship gives him the place that he deserves to be. If you've ever needed a a lesson on worship, you ever need, that's one thing. Worship gives him the place he's supposed to be in our life, the place he deserves to be. That we set himself up. We say, Lord, I worship you. I exalt you in my life. We worship him, protect you from drifting. And then it says we continue to thank him. We make him big in our lives. We worship him. We make him big in our hearts again. We worship him. And then we continue to thank him. And I think, and don't get me wrong today, but I think too often times, We call it faith, but we spend too much time in our prayer times discontented with what God hasn't done yet. Instead of thanking him for what he's already done in our lives. When by thanking him for what he's already done, it would actually build the resume of faith to believe him for what he was about to do. But I think too often times the devil tries to drive a wedge and he would love to get us discontented with what God hasn't done yet. The devil would love in your prayer times to get us disenfranchised and entitled about God didn't do this and God didn't do that. And I I thought he would move in a different way. Maybe I can't trust God because he didn't do what I wanted him to do. And we get discontented in our times. And what happens? We stop worshiping and we stop thanking him. But I think too often times we we let that creep in and all of a sudden we stop worshiping. we We become dark and confused, the Bible says. And the Bible says don't follow that path. Instead, we worship him. We put him in the right place in our lives. We set our priorities. And honestly, we do that through these 21 days of prayer. We set this time in January every year where we say, God, we give you the first and we make you first in our life. We're going to set aside our agenda and our schedule. And we're going to get some momentum and some disciplines in our life that we actually need if we're going to live out this year in our life with God. 
And all the things we do, we meet this week every night, 6 o'clock. You can join us at 6 p.m. We're streaming online 6 a.m. every night this week, every morning this week. I would encourage you to join us. Everything we do, though, we we start with worship. Right at 6 o'clock, we have a time of devotion. Somebody gives a word. We have a time of prayer individually. We pray corporately. All the stuff that we do, you can do on your own. I'm just telling you, it's hard to get that spiritual momentum when you're trying to do it as an individual. It's why as a church, we set aside January and we say, we're going to, as a church, we're going to follow after the Lord. We're going to set him where he needs to be. And then we're going to have some momentum for the year that he's going to stay there. That we're going to worship him. We're going to seek him. We're going to give thankfulness and worship. And we're going to maintain that attitude of gratitude by staying in worship and thankfulness to God. And so I would just encourage you, it is a catalyst for the rest of the year. You want the best year yet. You start it by putting God where he deserves to be. The first place in our life and you keep an idea of thankfulness in your life, what you do. Second thing, verse 23, verse 23 of Hebrews. It says Hebrews 10, verse 23 up there. It says, but then let us now let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm because God can be trusted to keep his promise. So we start first. let's go boldly into his presence. Then it says, let's hold tightly without wavering. For the hope that we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep. So we have this confidence assurance that God's promises are going to come to pass because Jesus changed the game. Because Jesus gave his life once and for all. Because of that, we have these spiritual encounters that help us develop this confidence in faith. But you need to know what God's promises are. If you're going to hold on to this faith, we're going to have encounters with God. We need his presence, but you need to know what God's promises are. Let me encourage you, church, you need to read your Bible. I can't say it more simply than that. We try to say it in different ways all throughout the year. I can't say it. You need to read your Bible because this is God's word. This is an incredible gift he has given us. This is what we call his written will. You need to know what the promises of God are for your life if you're going to stand on them. You got And if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one free of charge. Now, I just add that with a caveat. It is a paper Bible. All right. They made it in a paperback, everybody. So it is has pages. It's an amazing invention. It does not light up. I just want to throw that out to you. All right. If you're doing, but I, and honestly, I am not a stick. I don't get into legalism based on what Bible you decide to carry around. I know people with 50 pound Bibles that sit on the dust collecting, or sit on the shelf collecting dust. And I know people with digital Bibles on their phone that read them every day. I don't care. I just want you to read the Bible, everybody. All right. Whatever form you carry around with you, whatever that, I just want you to read your Bible because you need to know what God's promises are for your life. You have to know what he's promising for you. You have to know what you're standing on for your family. If you're going to quote the word, you're going to have it deep within your heart. You need to hide his word that you'll be able to stand on God's promises. And I don't know if you know that, but the Bible will speak to your life. I don't know if you know that, but the Bible is alive. The word is alive, everybody. It says that in Hebrews. It says, but the word of God is living and active. That means that the Bible is alive. It will speak to every area of your life. It says the word is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Did you know the Bible will mess with you? It will get its finger all up in your stuff, try to point out areas of your life the Holy Spirit will convict you in. And if you don't want to be read by the Bible, I would encourage you not to read it. Because when you read the Bible, it reads you. When you read the Bible, I promise you, it will get up all in your mess and it will point out things that you need to change. The Bible says it's sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing to joint and marrow. It will divide between soul and spirit. And I've had people come and ask me, how do I know if this is God or this is me? The Bible will help clarify what the word of God is in your life. You get in your time to say, I don't know if it's just me or the Holy Spirit speaking. The Bible will clarify that for you. I promise you the word of God will read you if you read it. It is alive and active in our life. It will do that. It says joining. And honestly, I love this end of this verse. Joints and marrows judges the thoughts. 
Some of us don't like that. We, we did one time where we said, we're going to put your thoughts up on the screen. None of us would like to come. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So when my attitude gets wrong towards God. And you would say, well, my attitude would never get wrong towards God. I promise you, I am the same as when my attitude gets wrong towards the Lord. The Bible is what helps clarify that. Helps set us back on the straight path when the Bible is the one that helps us see what the standards of God are in our life. Because where God has an opinion, I fail to do so. When God has an opinion, I cease to have one. When God has an opinion, we stand on his word. And so the Bible, living and active, it will touch every area of your life. I would encourage you, follow along with us in the one-year Bible. If you can, we have the printouts or in the app, you can join with us. Get a devotion that you enjoy, whatever it is, but you need to read his word. Write it on note cards, hide it in your heart, because this is the standard of God's will. This is what we follow. And it clarifies that for us. It's amazing to me. That even thousands of years after it was authored, that the Bible is still speaking clearly to the issues that we are wrestling with in our culture today. It's incredible to me because people try to tell you it's outdated or it's, it's outmoded or we could never be relevant. It's speaking to the exact things that we struggle and wrestle with today. And so we need as the church, if we're going to take our stand on God's word, we need to know what it says. You got to read your Bible, everybody. So follow along with us, do what you need. We need his presence in our life. We need his promises in our life. Verse 24, back to our text. It says, and then let us think of ways. So it said, let us go boldly into the presence. Let us hold to the promises of God. Then let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Think about this. This is talking about our response to the sacrifice Jesus has made for us. This is not earning our way to God. This is our response to the sacrifice Jesus has already made for us. Number three, you need to know that there's God's promises and there's God's purpose for your life. That he has made some promises, but you need to live out your purpose. This is called serving others. And I think sometimes it's a lost art in the church sometimes. That we are called to serve others. Sometimes we would love to dominate others. We would love to lead others. We would love to be over others. We would love to have a business full of others. We would love to have others give us their money and we would return some. This is called serving others without any thought for ourselves out of response to what Jesus has done for us. If we want to go into the presence, Hebrews gives us that remedy. We want to continue to experience God. He gives us that step. It says, let us go into his presence. Let us stand on his promises. And then let us encourage each other to acts of service and love. That we would love one another. And honestly, I believe in all my heart, and I will preach it almost every Sunday, I believe you need to read your word. You need to stay in times of prayer. 21 days are so important that we have that time of devotion. I believe in having your own personal prayer time, having a place in a prayer closet or a place you kneel or in your car, wherever it is that you worship and you go into prayer. It is something I do every day. It fuels every area of my life. But I want you to hear me. It isn't every area of my life. Got quiet in this church, everybody. God's dream for you is not that you would find a way to hide in your prayer closet 24 hours a day and somehow levitate. Do you understand that, everybody? The most spiritual people on the planet aren't monks in a monastery somewhere hiding out their days, not impacting the world around them. The most spiritual people that encounter God oftentimes are those who are out ministering to a broken humanity. And while I believe in having moments and presence of God and having those times of prayer, it's to fuel what comes next. Having those times in the presence of God, it's to fuel how we got. Because it's only in reminding ourselves of God's purpose for our life, we remember that we're not here for ourselves. That I know you got saved and you got rescued, but it wasn't just for you. It was so that you could go find somebody that Jesus could save and Jesus could rescue. And I think sometimes we lose sight of humanity. 
We lose sight of the fact that we are in a war for other souls, that there is somebody who is waiting on the other side of your obedience, waiting to hear about the call of Jesus that rescued you. And too often times we got to get our eyes off of ourselves. Too often times we have found ourselves being selfish with the grace that we have received. We got to serve everybody. Acts of love, acts of kindness, reaching out to build the kingdom of God, reaching out to serve others. I tell you, one of the best ways that you can to rescue yourselves from the chaos that is going on in the world around you is to serve. You say everything's too crazy. Everything's going 100 miles an hour. I don't The best way I know of to rescue yourself from the chaos around you is to serve others. Because it gives you a perspective that you would not have if you lived your life in selfish isolation. If you lived your life away, never impacting humanity, I promise you the best way is to serve others. To live outside of ourselves, reminding ourselves of the mission of God. Some of the most amazing encounters I've ever had with the Lord or when he orchestrated some way with his people for me to meet with others and to be able to do things. It blows my mind, not that we are great, but that God would orchestrate our lives to the point where we would have encounters and opportunities to reach people with the gifts that he already gave us. That God would show us that we didn't have to somehow become something different than how he made us, that God has already orchestrated opportunities, that right where you are, he is showing you people that you can impact for the kingdom. With the giftings he's already given, you can be who you are in Christ and impact this kingdom for eternity. Who he made you to be. That God has those eyes. It blows my mind that God would have orchestrate our lives in a way that he would make us a part of what he is doing on the world. We need to serve. It says, let us encourage. Mark chapter 8 says it this way. It says, if anybody tries to keep on to their life, anybody tries to take a hold where they wouldn't lose their life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you'll save it. And I am concerned that there are too many people in the body of Christ, too many people who want to spend their lives on themselves. It it just concerns too many of us who want to spend our gain on ourselves, our prosperity on ourselves, the things God gives us, our talents and our giftings. We want to see how they can benefit ourselves. Too oftentimes we try to take a hold of our life with both hands and never let go. But he says, if you would lose your life for my sake, if you give it up, if you surrender it all, all your talents, all your giftings, whatever God has given you, you say, I always want to give it back into the kingdom. If you say that's when you find actual life. If you say, I'm going to give my life for the kingdom. I'm going to spread the gospel. I'm going to give my talents and giftings to serve others. That's where you find actual life. I'm telling you, you want eternal life in this life. You have to give up that thing. We can't live in greed or in selfishness. We need to serve. It comes from his presence. It comes from his promises comes from his purpose. And last, as we go back to our text one more time, and it says, and let us try. Let us not neglect our meeting together. Even back in Bible times, people skip in church. It's just as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, I'm no eschatologist, all right? I don't study end times all that often, but I think it's pretty easy to see that this world is kind of wrapping up. I think it's pretty easy to see that it's kind of wrapping up these things. And unfortunately, we can see this trend happening in the body of Christ, that this world is kind of wrapping up, that we see, and I don't know if it'll be in our lifetime. I don't know if it'll be in our kids' lifetime or our grandkids. I'm just saying every generation since Jesus has said that they were the last one. But if you look around the world today, it's pretty easy to see that time is short. That it's short. And that if we are not living in the last days, you are living in your last days, everybody. I don't mean to be a downer to you right now, but we have a limited amount of time on this earth to make a difference for the kingdom. And so too often times we get our eyes off of eternity and we get to set our eyes on ourselves. We're not serving. We're not impacting. 
And unfortunately, we see this trend happening in the body of Christ that some are in the habit, it says, of not meeting together. That some are in the habit, as an end international says, of not meeting. And I just want you to know, if you're going to encounter God, God never intended for you to walk this journey alone. That I need you and you need me. And we need to be in this journey together as a church that God's people are what's supposed to fuel these encounters that we're having with God. That God's people are supposed to feel that we're supposed to have those together. We're supposed to take this journey together. It's why every week you will hear us talk about our small groups at Victory. That it's not something we're just trying to fill a number quota. I want this for your life so strongly because you need to have God's people around you, lifting you, encouraging you, strengthening you. That when you walk through dark waters, when you go through these things, that God's people are around you. That we were never meant to do this journey alone. Never meant to have this journey alone. In the NIV of that translation, it says, as some are in the habit of doing. Let us not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And what I want to say today is I'm not talking about streaming church online. All right, everybody? I know that's the first place that a lot of church leaders' minds went to. I think a lot of church leaders are distracted attacking something that has actually been one of the biggest blessings to the kingdom of God in this season. And so I just want to take this opportunity to look into the camera and to say, if you're watching right now, we love you and we support you and you are a part of us. And this is, that's, that's not what I'm attacking in this verse in the Nita. If you're out of town on business and you're tuning in, or maybe you're just spending time with the family, or you're just having this chance. If you are home, or you live out of state, or maybe you are home because of health, I want you to know we love you. We support you. You are a part of our church. We would love to be with you, but we understand at different seasons, different people. We love to have this opportunity to still join together in several places as one church. If you are home because of health, we love you. And we're praying for you. But if you stay away and don't connect to the body of Christ because of habit, then you are missing what God has for your life. If it's become a habit, because I'm not talking about streaming online. I think it's amazing that we can join together as one church at the same time and pray and worship the Lord together. I think it's incredible. What I am talking about is the almost one-fourth of the church in America that has walked away completely in the last two years. That isn't connecting on any level, in any medium, in any way. That has walked away from the church. And I'm just telling you, if we're going to be the church that Jesus Christ gave his life for, then we're going to have to live in community. Jesus said, make them one as you and I are one. Make them one. If we're going to be the church, the ecclesia, the gathering that Jesus gave his life for, we're going to have to live in community and love to worship together, to lift the name of Jesus together, to stand together. That's the church that he said the gates of hell would not prevail against. That's the church that can take their stand in these last days. That's the church that's going to run out to a broken world and minister to humanity. That's the church together in community, worshiping, lifting our hands together, proclaiming Jesus as Lord. That's the church that's going to go out from his presence and go out to a world that is broken and hurting and say our God is able and our God is willing and our God can do in your life what he's done in ours. That I know that he can rescue you. That I know that he can set you free because he set me free. I know he can rescue you because he rescued us. That's the church that's going to take its stand in these days. That's the church Jesus gave his life for. And so if we're going to go out, we need his presence. We need his promises. We need his purpose in our lives. We need each other to continue to chase after all that God has for us. That's the promise God has for your life this year. And we are following after everything he has. I promise you it'll be the best year of your life if it's the best year spiritually. Leaning into these encounters with the living God. Leaning into relationship with him. It's not about head knowledge. It's not just about intellectual knowledge. It's about proclaiming and experiencing the living God. That's what's been purchased to us. 
by Jesus Christ. That's what eternal life is, that they would know you and they would know your son, Jesus Christ. Because God never intended to just be studied. He'd always intended to be experienced. Bow your heads with me as we close in prayer today. I just want to pray that God would move in your life. That you would have a real experience that you could stand on in faith. That you would build this resume of trust in him. I just want to pray that God would give you that experience in your life. That it's available to you. Before I pray that, I know there's some of you today that came in or you're watching online and you found yourself far from God. You see those, those consequences of sin that I talked about. That the wages of sin is death. You don't need me to beat you over the head with it. You're living through it. You've seen the consequences of your decisions. You've seen the consequences of sin in your life. And you're at a place right now where you're crying out and saying, I want the freedom that comes from Jesus. I want to be forgiven. I want you to know right now that he still loves you. The Bible says that you would run to him when you need him the most. And some of you are at that place where you need him the most. And I would beg you, don't let sin drive a wedge between you and God. Don't let the enemy drive a wedge and take you run from him. Don't let the enemy try to keep you from running to God. I promise you, when you need him the most is when God says, run to me. Find rest, find strength, find grace and mercy that washes you white as snow. Bible says Jesus died for your sins and he didn't come. Jesus isn't trying to pile it on. He's not trying to judge you. He's not coming. The Bible says he didn't come to condemn you. He came to set you free. And so if that's you today, you say, I want that. I want to be forgiven. I want to repent. I want my life changed and I want an experience with the living God. If that's you right now, it would be my honor to pray with you. Every head is bowed. I want you to know I'm not going to single you out. I'm not looking to embarrass you, to make you stand. I just want to pray with you right where you are. I would love to baptize you next week to make that public declaration before the church. But right now is between you and your Savior. And so that's you right now. You say, I want that. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you the words to a prayer. In this church, we're going to pray with you. Nobody prays alone. We want to encourage you and stand with you. But you need to pray it and you need to mean it for your own life. And it's a prayer of surrender. I'm not trying to trick anybody into a prayer. I promise you, it is a prayer of surrender to him. That you make him Lord of your life. And I promise he will change you and make you new. And if that's you today, right now, if you made that decision and all the church praying with you right now, say, Jesus, forgive me. I repent of all of my sin, of all my mistakes. Wash me clean. I believe you died on the cross and I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life in Jesus' name. Now, God, I pray for every person here, Lord. I thank you, Father for the amazing things that you are getting ready to do in this church, in this year, in our families, in our lives, in our careers, in our relationships. God, I thank you for all that you're about to pour out. Lord, we would just ask that we would be ready to step into it. God, I pray that when the world bows down, we would stand on the principles and the promises of God's word. And Lord, that we would be able to say like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God, that we know our God is tested and true. And we know, Father, that you can. And we know that you are willing. And God, we know that even in the fires of life, we don't care what they say to us. We don't care what they do to us. We will stand on God's word and we will bow our knee to Jesus alone. God, we pray and we thank you.
thank you for the confidence and the strength that you'll give us. We thank you, Lord, for all that we're about to step into. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, would you give him praise right now? Come on, church, let's give him praise.